0: Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Hey, there you go. It's good to see each and every one of you this morning. And for the time that we have together, I've so enjoyed the music this morning in both worship services and our time together today and sharing. I am Tim Morrow. I am your area representative for Texas Baptist uh, in, in Central Texas. My area covers from... Uh, that of about Austin all the way to Waco, and as far southeast as Brenham, and as far west as Brownwood, Texas. And uh, Miss Sarah and I both went to Howard Payne, so if there's any other jackets out there, sting them, all right, and do so. But uh, it's good to be with you. My job as for Texas Baptist is to just serve churches in the area. I service over 600 churches in Central Texas and especially during times when they are seeking a pastor, uh, serving as an encouragement to pastors and staff, serving as an ambassador for the convention, and also just seeking to be of whatever help that I can be as as a resource for the local church. And uh, what a joy it is to be with you. I've been with this church one other time. I, I preached. I can always remember this because it was in... Uh, it was uh, the last Sunday in August of 2017, and if you remember that time of the last Sunday of 20, August of 2017, that's when Hurricane Harvey came on the scene, and I mean it poured down rain, and it poured down rain here in Georgetown. My wife Melody is with me today, and we do live in Belton, so we are not far from you, and uh, However of service that we can be for you, I pray that you'll call upon me and do so and to help you in these days. And I'll be with you a couple of more Sundays. I'm to be with you the 18th and the 25th of this month and looking forward and serving and helping you in whatever ways that, that, that I can. Also for you today. Now listen up. There's a book, uh, that I wrote when I was a pastor. Before Abraham, I am the claims of Christ from the Gospel of John. Uh, this is the I great I am statements from John. And I have some of these books here available. I have some that are in the both the, the foyer and these that are here on the table. Uh, listen, you can't beat this deal. They're free, okay? All right? They're for you. But let me encourage you, if you would please, take one per family, if you would, okay? In doing so, this is a gift from our Texas Missions Baptist Foundation that made this possible, but uh, they're for you, and you can use this book uh, for the study. It has questions that are there in the back of each chapter, so if you have a study group that is using uh, something for s- someone discussion that you have for your Bible study group, then you can use this at any time. That you would like. So it is good to be with you and look forward in helping you and serving you here within the coming days. Well, through the years, I've uh, found that uh, there are some people that they will attribute statements in the Bible that are not found in the Bible. You ever found that before? I mean, these clever cliches have a ring of authenticity about them that often confuses the listener. It was well over 30 years ago when I was serving as a pastor. A little lady called me one day and she said, Brother Pastor, she said, uh, she said, I'd like to know, she says, where in the Bible does it say God works in mysterious ways His wonders to behold? And I said, well, ma'am, I said, that's not in the Bible. And she said, well, I know it is. And I said, well, no, it, it's not. I said, uh, that statement came from a man by the name of William William Culper, or Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R. I said, in fact, we sing one of his songs, uh, the wonderful hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Uh Maybe you've heard someone say, well, you know, the Bible says... That cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, If you search the pages of the Bible, you can't find it. Another common example is this. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, George Barna, his demographic group, did a survey several years ago and they found that 68% of Americans believe that that statement is in the Bible. Now, the next time that you hear one of these cliches and the person says that it's in the Bible, you ask them to quote book, chapter, and verse. They can't be found because it isn't in the Bible. I mean, it sounds so scriptural, doesn't it? It sounds so scriptural, most people accept it as gospel truth. And for years, I've heard people say, and maybe you've heard others who have said this too, they've said to those who were going through tough times, they'll say this. Now remember, remember, God uh, will never lay more on you than you can bear. You ever heard that one? Uh, Is that statement really true? I mean... Try try to find that one in your Bible. Uh, some Christian out there who is suffering, and hears that platitude, and they, they have to wonder. I mean, they've just gone through the fire. And they're, they're just wondering, well, something is not right here. Because I've got more on my plate, I've got more on me right now that I can stand. God, what's wrong? Can't you even keep your word? Well, the truth is, God never made that kind of promise in the Bible. Now, some people misunderstand this particular promise, and it is a promise found in the Bible. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Let me read that one to you. Paul said, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. Okay? Aren't you thankful for that? But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, that you may be able to bear it. Now don't miss the important distinction here. That particular verse there is speaking of temptation. Okay? God will never allow us to be tempted to sin beyond our ability to resist the temptation we never have uh, an acceptable excuse for personal sin we can't complain that the temptation was too strong to resist or as a comedian did years ago said well the devil made me do it we can't say that uh, l- let's not confuse the pa- the promise That is here in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 with the reality of trials and problems that we face. Yes, there is always a measure of temptation that is attached to every trial. But the trial itself is not temptation. Now, Satan comes along. The devil comes along and uses trials to make us bitter, to make us grumble. But God allows trials to make us better and to make us grow in Jesus Christ. And let's remember today that there's just one letter difference between bitter and better. God uses and allows these To make us better in Jesus Christ. We can face difficulties and disappointments. Without resorting to unbelief and to sin. So could it very well be. That that very statement. God will not allow more on you. Will lay more on you than you can bear. Is actually false. And has caused more grief and heartache and despair. I mean think about it. How would somebody like Job. Job, a man who walked after God, walked uh, in way, the ways of God. How, how would have Job have felt? He, Job is the one who, who lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his family. I mean, his wife then comes along and just says, Well, why don't you just curse God and die, just get it over with, okay, and do that. How, how would have somebody like Job would have felt? Now, remember, Job, God's not going to lay more on you than you can bear. Well, how did the Apostle Paul feel about the idea that God would never lay more on a person than they could bear? We know that when Paul, when he wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth, that he recalled some of the trials that he had to endure. Now, I invite you to take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. And let me just read these three or four verses to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Here's what Paul said. He said, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our trouble, of our tribulation, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Now, you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now, the most extraordinary thing about this particular passage is that we have no information at all about this terrible experience that Paul went through when he was spending that time at Ephesus. But something happened to him that was almost beyond bearing. He was in such danger that he believed that the sentence of death had been passed on him and that there was no escape. Nevertheless... Paul describes a specific act of God's deliverance in his life that begins there in verse 8. And even though the text doesn't identify the problem, the trial, the tribulation, Paul provides hints to the severity of the problem. He says, We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. They were so burdened, get this, beneath the load that they were unable to move and there was no way of escape. You ever felt that way? You've ever felt hemmed in, felt boxed in? You think, I don't know what on earth I'm going to do. And then Paul said this. He said, in our hearts, we even felt the sentence of death. That portrays a person who is at the end of his rope. Death seemed to be the ultimate destination of the pathway on which Paul traveled. And although the problem was so severe, Paul cites two positive outcomes of this particular crisis. On the one hand, he was reminded of his own inadequacy. And he was forced to depend on God for deliverance, for Paul. Suffering became a master teacher who taught him about himself. But on the other hand, Paul rediscovered that uh, God's resources and power are adequate to deliver from what appeared to be certain death. Sometimes God's adequacy becomes apparent only in the classroom of our own inadequacy of our own desperation and the truth that paul is trying to communicate is act, is exactly the opposite of that common cliché because in truth when we think about it god will sometimes lay more on us than we can bear and paul confesses uh, confesses uh, that he was carrying on such a, a heavy load, a heavy burden, that it was beyond human ability to endure, that he did not think he was going to make it, that he fully expected to die as a result of carrying this heavy load. Now, here's the question, why? Why would God allow this to happen to someone that He loves and that He cares for. Let me just share you these truths, okay? I think they're going to be up on the screen. Let me share you just four truths for why God sometimes allows us to carry more than we can actually bear. Truth number one would be this. So that we will not rely on ourselves, but we will rely on Almighty God. Now, I don't know who where you are today. You may be going through an extremely difficult situation right now. Your hardship may be one that is unique. Well, whatever it is, don't make the mistake of thinking that you can handle it on your own. Don't take the stiff upper lip approach that reasons that God won't lay more on you than you can bear. You see, this can easily lead to more suffering and self-condemnation. Stop trying to carry your burdens alone. Uh, Quit depending on your resources, your smartness, to solve all of your problems. I say today to you, submit, surrender. Give up your efforts to resolve your difficulties. God is anxiously waiting for you to rely totally upon Him, that He is inviting you, as the promise says in His Word in 1 Peter chapter 5, to cast all your anxiety, to cast all your care upon Him. Why? Well, because He cares for you. You know, there's some out there that will presume that it is a statement of defeat to admit that they are carrying more than they can bear. That they maintain. They've got to put on that mask. Uh, they must uh, maintain their plastic smile of contentment just to protect God's reputation. Well, let me let you in on something today. You don't have to defend God, okay? He, he's doing quite well. It's important to be honest with your emotions and admit when you are crushed under a burden too great for you to carry. So the first step to victory is to surrender your own self-sufficiency. Surrender your adequacy. Now you think about Paul. Think about this man. He was gifted. He was intelligent. uh, He was a most capable man. His reputation, his resume was beyond question. But after the Damascus Road experience, after surrendering his life to Jesus Christ, think about it. He faced difficulties beyond the scope of his personal abilities. Uh, He was... uh, Forced to depend upon God. And as he says there at the end of verse 9, that we should not trust in ourselves, but we trust in God who raises the dead. You may be the kind of person who has always been able to deal with your problems in your own strength. Your personal makeup, your intelligence, your style, your personality, your training. has been able, that you've been able to handle life's disappointments that come your way. And when you encounter a problem beyond your capacity to solve, maybe it is that your first reaction is maybe sometimes panic, then fear, anxiety, frustration. Do yourself a favor, okay? Go ahead and admit it is beyond your ability to handle. It's at this very point that when God can begin to do mighty things in your life, and yes, even do mighty things in and through the life of your church, that disappointments in life can be God's appointments if we maintain a basic understanding of what God may be trying to do in and through our life. Secondly, why does God sometimes allow us to carry more than we can bear? Well, I find that oftentimes that God meets us at our point of desperation. Now for some people out there, and maybe you know some, for some people when the sun is shining and everything in life in their little world is perfect, and I mean they're at the top of their game, Uh, They're a Christian, but sad to find out, I've found some through the years that they tend to forget God. They quit the believers in Christ of coming to a church. They don't pray. They don't read His Word. They just kind of forget all about God because they've got it all together. Well, it's sad, but some are so hard-hearted that God sometimes allows trials to come to get their attention. You know, Jonah... Kind of a prime example of this. Jonah, who was called by God to go to the Ninevites to preach repentance. And Jonah said no to God, and he began running from God. He began to try to hide from God and tell me, where do you go to hide from God? And he ended up in the belly of the whale. Well, it was only at this point of desperation that Jonah cried out to the Lord for help. And the prophet realized God brought him to this point to get his attention. In fact, Jonah said, and we have it there in Jonah chapter 2, that in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now would Jonah have said uh, amen if someone told him God would never lay more on him that he could bear? I don't think so. And in your desperation this morning, in your desperation today, You have nowhere else to turn but in God. And He will meet you, I guarantee it, at your point of desperation as you call out to Him. Another reason God allows us to carry an unbearable load at times is to produce brokenness in our lives. Now listen to this. As long as we have things under control in our own strength, There is a tendency to possess a measure of pride and arrogance. And we may be tempted to think, well, others may have problems, but oh, I've got it all together. We go back to the Old Testament and we think about a man named King David. King David paid an, an exorbitant price for brokenness, as we all must, because brokenness is extremely valuable. And after King David committed ugly twin sins, he tried to hide and he tried to deny his guilt. There's some who think that there was maybe as much as a year that passed by. And after some time, then God sent the prophet Nathan then to confront King David. And at one of the lowest points in his life, David prayed the words that we have that are found in the 51st Psalm. That his arrogant and prideful attitude was replaced with a spirit of meekness and brokenness. That he made a discovery more valuable than gold. And then David comes to the point where he says in Psalm 51 verse 17 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Have you ever found that, that, that it was at these points of disappointment that God has produced brokenness in your life? I want to tell you something today. Treasure your brokenness. Don't waste your brokenness. God lovingly accepts a spirit of brokenness. As a priceless sacrifice. Now, in the world, in the world's economy, broken things are less valuable. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, the opposite is true. To God, broken things are of infinitely greater value. I mean, think about the way we live. I mean, if you have a broken clock, it's useless. If you have a broken automobile, a car... It's worthless unless it's fixed. You have a broken dish? Well, if you can't glue something on, you normally just throw it away, don't you? Well, we live in a culture that discards broken objects, but it is God who uses broken things. Go back to the Old Testament again. In the book of Judges, chapter seven and eight, the clay pitchers in the army of Gideon had to be broken Before the light could shine. In Mark chapter 2, the roof had to be broken before the four friends could lower their friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. That the loaves of bread that were offered by the little boy to be broken was, had to be broken before it could be multiplied to feed the thousands upon thousands. Mary's box of perfume, that jar, had to be broken so she could anoint the Lord Jesus Christ and the fragrance, the smell of that perfume could fill the whole room. And we think about the body of our Savior in Jesus Christ. That as He was bruised, as He was beaten, broken for us so that we could know the joy of salvation. And while we tend to throw broken things away, God delights in using people and using a church even that is broken and desperate before Him. I say today, cooperate with God during your difficulties. Allow Him to work in and through your brokenness. And then one final reason final reason why God allows us to carry an unbearable load sometimes is to prune us to produce more fruit in our lives. John 15, I talk about it in this book, okay? It's one of the great I am statements of Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. And John 15 is an amazing passage that I believe every Christian, every born-again believer should carefully study because it contains the secret joy of bearing fruit. Now, whatever you do, don't let Satan steal your joy. I know some Christians out there that are not, that have the joy. So don't let Satan steal your joy. But what John chapter 15, what Jesus tells us is, is that... uh, this just contains the secret joy of bearing fruit. Now, for years, let me just give you a word of testimony here. For years, I would read that passage. And I had no trouble with the part where Jesus says in verse 2, where he says this. Jesus says, all right, he, that is God, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, I thought, okay... It was only right for the Heavenly Father to prune away everything in me, every branch in me that did not bear fruit. I mean, after all, in the natural world, isn't that what we do? A branch should bear fruit. If it doesn't, we cut it, we get rid of it. So I had no problem with that. But then Jesus said this, okay? Because I'd stumble all over the second part of John chapter 15, verse 2. Jesus said this, while every branch, now get this, while every branch that does bear fruit, he, God, prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And I'd go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 pump the brakes here. I would object. Now, wait a minute, Lord, I, I can understand why you cut off those branches that bear no fruit in me. But why would you want to cut on those branches that are already bearing fruit? I mean, they're doing well. I mean, if we're already producing fruit, why introduce the painful pruning experience? Pruning hurts. But I'm still learning, like all of us are. And I've come to understand something about God. That our fruitfulness, bearing fruit, is more important than our comfort. Now, some of us may have more leaves than fruit in our lives. And God will prune, He'll cut on us so our lives will be characterized by even more love, joy, peace... Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that of which we know to be that of the fruit of the Spirit, or as one has said, the very character of Jesus Christ, to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And disappointments and suffering can produce even more obedience in our lives. It was David who said in the 119th Psalm, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. We're all on a divine assembly line, being improved, and the finished product won't be seen until we get to heaven, until we get face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, God is just shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ. He, he, he's prune, pruning us just a, a painful part of his particular process. And through his experience, Paul would learn something more about his God. Paul said, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. It's on Him that we set our hope, that we will continue, that He will continue to deliver us. That God would be sufficient whatever would come His way, our way. One of my heroes of the faith through the years has been a little lady by the name of Corey Ten Boone. You might have read her books. You might have even heard her speak. She lived from... 1892 to 1983, but this wonderful Dutch Christian lady had such an amazing life and had amazing testimony and stories and sayings. One of her sayings was this. She once said that when a train goes through a tunnel and it goes dark while you're in that tunnel, she said, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off the train. She said, you just sit still and you trust the engineer. Do I need to say more? Sit still. Be still. And know that I am God. (laughs) The trials come so that we'll not rely upon ourselves, but we'll rely upon God. God meets us at our point of desperation. You're desperate for Him today. Listen, He is there for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. It is to produce brokenness in our lives where we will be broken before Him. A broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, Lord, this you will not despise. You will not turn away. And it will be to to prune us, To produce more fruit, the character of Christ, in our life. Listen, based on our resources, we can't win. Based on the resources that come from trusting the hand of a loving God, we can't lose. I don't know where you are this morning. If you're without Christ and you've never given your life to Christ to be your Savior, to be the Lord and Master of your life, I encourage you to do so, to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, yes to Him today. Admit that yes, you are a sinner. We heard some wonderful verses a few moments ago from Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 verse 8, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how He showed His love toward us For us. Give your life to Christ. Follow Him. Follow Him in believers' baptism. If you need to place your life in a local church, I encourage you to come to be part of Main Street Baptist Church. If you're experiencing a a low point in your own life right now and there is that desperation and that brokenness, listen, don't waste it today. Just be still. Allow God and His Spirit to minister to you, to your soul, to your heart and to see what God can do. Would you pray with me, please? Father, today we thank you, O God. We thank you, Father, Lord, for the promises of your word. Thank you, O Lord, that you will not leave us or forsake us in any way. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your grace, your love that abounds always. And Lord God, today, may it be in our life, that we will be still, we'll know that you are in control, that you are God. Lord, that we will serve you, Father, as our Lord, our Master, the very boss of our life. Lord, you know the heart of each and every individual today. You will minister to them by your love, by your Spirit, by your grace. And Lord God, your will be done. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.